Welcome to the Thrive Vineyard Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Kevin Kiefer. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit thrivevineyard.com. All right, good morning. I want to set the tone for what we're going to talk about today. And the tone that I want to set in the room is that um, I'm going to call us to a higher level in a place that I think that we already um, are functioning fairly well at. I have um, a lot of joy and a lot of pride in my heart about the way that we do as a church in this area. Um, and it, in addition to that, I want us to go higher. I want us to go further with it. And we are talking about uh, the kingdom of God, and we're talking about kingdom warfare. And uh, you cannot talk about the kingdom of God without talking about the clashing of kingdoms, the clashing of God's kingdom of light and love with the clashing uh, or the, the the opposition of Satan's kingdom of darkness. And so that's what we're going to be diving in today, uh, into today. And I have to tell you that being a, a pastor is such a unique um, vocation because I get to be front and center to so much of what is happening in the life of this family. I get to hear about things that are happening in your life. And I, I don't know if you think it's, it's funny or weird, but I, I think, I literally think of myself very often as a, a father to you all. And I know that some of you are older than I am, but I just can't help myself. I think of myself very often as a father to us, uh, to you guys and as a shepherd. And, um, and I feel like we have this huge, wonderful, slightly dysfunctional family, right? That's, that's who we are. And when people ask me, how, how's it going, Kevin? How's ministry? More and more lately, I, um, I almost feel schizophrenic. See, I almost feel like I'm schizophrenic or at a bare minimum, like, like it's a mixed bag, uh, doing this thing and, and, and being a part of your lives because it is so often that, um, on any given day, I'll get to hear about God doing some just absolutely amazing thing in, in one of your lives. I get to hear about someone being healed or someone being restored or just a move of God in your lives that, that brings me so much joy and so much awe that I just can't help but go, God, you are absolutely amazing. It happens all throughout um, our church family. And then at the same time, another person will come to me and they'll share with me the most devastating news, just very, very difficult things, painful things, things that are hard to imagine, things that sometimes are so hard, so painful that it almost feels as if it's truly an evil thing that is happening. And of course, um, we've been talking about this and you know that the reason for this is that we are, as a people, we are in the midst of two kingdoms. We are in the midst of a battle between two very powerful kingdoms, God's kingdom and Satan's kingdom. And we talked about the complexity of living lives, Christian lives in the midst of these two kingdoms, Christian lives in the midst of these, these, this overlapping era where Jesus has come and his kingdom has come and the Holy Spirit is with us, but not fully yet, not as it will be when Christ comes again. And so in scripture, we see Jesus doing all kinds of amazing things, healing the 
sick and setting people free from demonic oppression and restoring people and, and loving people, touching lepers and watching them be freed of their leprosy, all kinds of absolutely amazing things. The kingdom of God breaks in through Jesus. And then at the same time, he sends the, uh, the disciples out and he says, go and do the things that I've been doing. And then he says to us, you'll do even greater things. And so it's incredible what God says this life is that we're called to and what we'll see happen. And at the same time, Jesus says, you're going to have trouble. You're going to have trouble in this world, but take heart because I have overcome, uh, the trouble or the, the, you know, the world. And, um, in, in, a, in the book of Ephesians, uh, Paul describes it this way to help us to make sense. He said, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against people, uh, even though sometimes we think we're dealing with an issue with people. But he says, our struggle isn't against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And I, I want to ask you, how do you feel about that? Can you, do you believe that you are struggling against these powerful forces? That's what the Bible says is happening. Paul is saying that we are struggling against powerful forces of evil in the heavenly realms. It's all around us. And, and apparently this is just life on planet Earth. And here we sit sort of in the, in the middle of it all. And I want to ask you this morning, how do you interpret the different circumstances in your life. When, when you go away from this place and just you do your lives, how do you interpret the circumstances that you experience in life? I mean, typically, if you watch a person or a situation in your life go off the rails, whether it's someone that you care about getting sick or someone experiencing uh, just a, a horrible addiction, maybe our kids get bullied at school, maybe um, we feel frustrated as we watch the cycle of poverty go on and on and on in our community. Maybe there's a family that you're aware of where there's abuse present in the family. I, I, I want to ask you, how do you interpret those events? Do we think, well, you know, blank happens, like life is tough and we just have to keep going? Now, I, I, I know, you guys, that we here uh, in the vineyard, we have a theology for this. We have a theology that for why evil exists in the world. But I want to ask you, how aware of stuff are you really how are how really aware are you of what is happening and 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 here's the thing is that even if we do have a biblical uh paradigm for good and for evil don't you sometimes just wonder where is god in the midst of this, like when stuff happens, where is God? Like, did he take a lunch? I know that Jesus liked taking naps on boats. And so did, is God just napping while some, some of these things are happening in our lives? Where is God in this? And I'm actually going to come back to that. And I'll give you the answer to that in about 10 minutes. But for a moment, what I want to do is I want to cast a vision again for what life should look like. The life that, that we are called to be a part of. The life that God wants to pour out, that he wants to bring to earth. What should that life look like? Well, in Luke, as Jesus was inaugurating his ministry, very famously, he wrote, he read from the, uh, the scroll from the book of Isaiah, and he said this, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. This is what it looks like in the kingdom of God. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be re released, people that were held in bondage of every sort, that they'll be set free. 
that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. This is life in the kingdom of God. This is life when God rules and reigns on the earth. Paul writes it this way in the book of Galatians. He said, the fruit of the spirit, the fruit that the spirit produces is this kind of fruit in our lives. It's love. It's joy. It's peace. It's patience. It's kindness. It's goodness. It's faithfulness. It's gentleness. And it is self-control. In other words, when God is present, when God is getting his way, when his character is made manifest, we will experience love and joy and peace and power and healing and restoration, not only in our lives, but certainly, church, through our lives, because we are not just containers, are we? We're conduits. We don't just contain the kingdom of God, but we were created specifically to be conduits so that God's kingdom could flow through you and I but we experience great warfare in this because it's not just the kingdom of God. We experience an enemy that comes against everything that God does and everyone that God has or everyone that, that are every person that is his children, right? The enemy, uh, and, and Satan is actually called the enemy uh, in scripture. I want to give you a few of his names. He is called, by the way, Satan is not his name. He is the Satan. It is a title. But in addition to the Satan, he is called the enemy. He's called the adversary. That is who we have. We have an adversary in our lives. He's called the accuser. There is an accuser in our lives that is trying to accuse us. And Jesus calls him the ruler of this world. We live in a very complex tricky time because we live in the middle of a war and I have a concern that we are taught to be blind to this battle that is happening all around us so often it seems to me that we are tempted by the world to see things only in the physical even though we have a a a spiritual paradigm theologically the world presses in on us and teaches us that only what is physical is real only what we can see is real right and so we can Forget about what is unseen. And I think the enemy wants it that way because if we don't pay attention to him, he can do more of what he wants to do. And so the enemy wants us to disbelieve in his existence. The world thinks that we're crazy if we believe in God, much less demons and angels and things like that. C.S. Lewis wrote this about the spiritual realm in this battle. He said, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race, human race, can fall uh, about the devils, that is about demons and things like that. He said, one is to disbelieve their existence, and the other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased with by both errors and hail the... ...around every corner... They, they uh, hail them both with the same delight. Either way is fine. But Jesus was able to see what was really happening all over planet Earth. Everywhere he wa- walked, he was able to see what was happening. And so one time um, in Jesus's, early in Jesus's ministry, he went to the synagogue, which was his custom, by the way. I'm glad that you're sitting here because it was Jesus's custom to go to synagogue every chance that he could. And so he was sitting at our equivalent of church, and there was a man sitting there in the synagogue who had been probably attending for years and years and years. He was probably just a member of the town and had been there forever and ever and ever. And suddenly when 
Jesus was there, this guy jumped up and started yelling at Jesus. And here's how uh, Luke records it. He says this, then Jesus went to Capernaum, a town in Galilee, and taught there in the synagogue uh, every Sabbath day. And there too, the people were amazed at his teaching, for he spoke with authority. And here we go. And once, when he was in the synagogue, a man, possessed by a demon, an evil spirit, cried out, shouting, Go away! Why are you interfering with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Jesus was outed early in his ministry by this demon speaking through this man. And it says, but Jesus, Luke records, reprimanded him. Be quiet. Come out of the, of the man, he ordered. And at that, at that, the demon threw the man on the floor as the crowd watched. And it came out of him without hurting him further. That's a lively day in church, right? Now, if someone were to start freaking out in any of our spheres of life, in your workplace, in your school, if you go to school, in the grocery store or something like that, what do we typically try to do? We, we think that they're, they have a mental health issue. We try to get them help. We try to get them on medication or something like that. But Jesus knew that there was an unseen enemy that influences what is in the seen realm, what we can see. And so Jesus went right to the root of the issue, and he bound the enemy, and he cast the enemy out, and he solved it that way, right? And by the way, I just want to give you guys a, just a quick understanding. Whenever the Bible talks about someone who is demonized, they're not talking about this either or, this black or white thing where you're either completely possessed by the devil or you're completely free. Uh, demonization exists on a spectrum. In, in scripture, we see that some people are sort of just, we call it harassed. They're like pestered by demons. And then there are other people that are completely, their whole lives are undone by demonic influences. And so it's not an all or nothing type thing. Peter wrote this. He said, be alert. And of sober mind, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And I want to ask you the question, are we? Are we alert? Are you alert to what is happening? Are you alert to the presence of the battle that is happening all around you? Because if we, who are God's army, are not alert then who will be? If we are not alert, then we have just given the enemy the keys to the car, haven't we? If we will not keep our eyes open, if we will not engage in this battle, then who will? And I, I think of it a little bit like this. I think of it, to be honest, a little bit like... Um, like my, my uh, high school's baseball coach. Uh, at my high school, uh, Mr. C was the baseball coach. I won't give you his full name. That's a picture of him right there. Uh, and so Mr. C was uh, varsity coach at ba- for baseball at my school, and he was the geometry teacher. And um, when I had geometry, Mr. C was my teacher. And because I was a terrible student, I had preferential seating, right? Which meant that for every class in high school, I sat in the front row in the center of the room. That was my assigned seat for everything, right? And so I was no more than three feet away from Mr. C's 
desk. And I was a terrible student. But at this moment, at this season in my life, I had no reservations about doing whatever it would take to get good grades. Well, I, I mean, I had, I had reservations about studying. I had reservations about doing the homework, but I didn't have any reservations about cheating, right? And so, um, and so one day Mr. C handed out a, a, a test and I had no clue what was going on at all. But fortunately, I was sitting right next to a really good student who was sitting in the front row voluntarily and he was a friend of mine. And so I uh, turned to him and I said, hey, I need to copy your test. And I know that this was kind of a risk because Mr. C was sitting right there, but I actually never saw his face in class because he was always behind a newspaper, right? And I just kind of banked on the fact that, hey, given the amount of effort that this baseball coach has put into geometry, he probably won't care that I'm cheating from my neighbor, right? And so I said, hey, give me your test. And my buddy, at the very moment when he was handing me his test, Mr. C puts down his newspaper and he goes, hey. And I said, how you doing, Mr. C? And he goes, good. And then he puts his paper back up. I took the test. I passed it. It was great. It all worked out very well for me. And I can tell you that Mr. C wasn't going to be winning any Apple Teacher of the Year awards. I wasn't going to be winning any awards for scholarly work or integrity or any of those things, right? Basically, it was bad teaching. It was bad studenting. And no one was watching. No one was on the watch. And I, I have this concern that this is a little bit of a picture of what life can be like for us. There is an enemy in the world that is doing what he wants to do. He's breaking up marriages. He's making people sick. He's binding people in addiction to porn and alcohol and drugs. He's messing with our kids in the schools. He's causing nations to go to war with nations right in front of us, all while Christians who carry the very spirit of God just sit by and watch it all happen. Or maybe we complain about it on social media. And because there is power in the unseen, it's remarkably easy for people to ignore it because it is unseen, even if we see the effects of it in what is seen. And the tragedy is, is that, I gotta be honest with you, church, I feel like so much of what happens in the world, so much of the brokenness that, that happens in our world, it doesn't have to happen. It's just that Christian soldiers who were called to fight have not showed up for the fight. Does that make sense? Someone once wrote, and I, I found out that nobody really knows who said this, but it's something you've heard before. Someone once wrote, the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men and good women to do nothing. The only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men and women to do nothing. And I believe a million times over in a moment-by-moment -moment basis that this is true. You and I are carriers of God's kingdom. Each of us have been given a mandate to bring his kingdom, to bring his power, to bring his healing work, to bring his restoring work, to bring his reconciliation to the world. But so much of it hinges on our awareness and on our willingness. But we are so desperately needed in the world. You are so desperately needed in this world that is, that is so messed up, that is so hurting. Jesus found himself moved so viscerally that it was like a kick in the gut. Uh, uh, it, it's recorded in, in one of the Gospels that uh, there was a moment where Jesus and the disciples were just ministering to a crowd of people and Jesus became overwhelmed like literally overwhelmed to the point of tears, to the point where he could barely take it because he looked at the people in front of him 
And they were such a mess. Their lives were such a mess. They were so hopeless. They were so broken. They were so lost that he could barely take it. And he said to the disciples, he said, guys, pray, pray, pray that the Lord would send workers into these fields because these people are harassed and helpless. They're like sheep without a shepherd. They don't know, ups, you know, right side up from upside. I don't even know what I'm saying, but you get it, right? They were a complete mess. And he said, would the Lord please send workers into these fields? And I just want to say, church, it is not enough that we have a theology of kingdom warfare. It's not enough that we know about it. We need to take up the fight because if we don't take up the fight, who will? And I want to share with you guys that I think that transformation, if you see how Jesus lived in his ministry, I would say that transformation can only come through confrontation. Transformation can only come through confrontation. That's what Jesus was doing. Light only scatters the darkness when light shines. You hear me on this? When we take the basket off of our light, the light that shines in us, and we let it shine in the world. A few minutes ago, I asked the question, where is God in the midst of all this chaos? Where is God in the midst of all this brokenness? And I'll tell you where he is. He's in here. He's in you. He's in each of you. That's where God is. He is there in the midst of all of it. And we are called to a spiritual battle. We are called to fight because transformation can only come through confrontation. And if the Bible is true, then breakthrough and healing and newness of life life will come when we confront our enemies and we defeat them with the presence and the power and the love and the goodness of God. And I would like to see our church. And again, I, I know that many of you have taken up this fight, but I also know that the Lord is calling us to more. And I want us to get beyond the prayer of Lord, let your kingdom come and let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven to becoming conduits of that kingdom, conduits of that mercy, conduits of that power. That wherever we see darkness in the world, we turn on the light. We turn on our light, the light that exists within us, which is the spirit of God. I want to talk to you um, about a little phrase that I actually heard as we were worshiping this morning and, and, and doing ministry. Um, I want to talk about holy moments, holy moments. I picked up a book recently called Holy Moments by a guy named Matthew Kelly. And in this book, Matthew sort of posited that there are a million moments a day in our lives that could either be a holy moment or an unholy moment. And the deciding factor actually isn't the Lord, it's, it's us. What we can do, he says, is that we could, in any given moment, we step into this moment, and we can seek the Lord, and we could say, God, what do you want me to do in this very moment right now? What do you have for me in this moment? I'll do it. And every time that we ask that question and we step in into obedience with whatever it is that the Lord is doing, whatever he asks of us, that moment has become a holy moment. But there will be a million moments where we will be oblivious to it, where we won't ask the question. In those moments, this author would call unholy moments. Each of us have a choice, and it can be that simple to simply seek God in the moment and say, what are you doing? What would you have me to do in this moment? And sometimes those holy moments, they look like supernatural power. 
where we refuse to accept that a person's sickness will run its course, that it will do its awful work in that person. And instead we contend in prayer and we contend in faith that that person will be healed. And if you have in any time, uh, you know, in the recent past or the distant past, if you have ever prayed for a person to be healed and you thought it was just this thing that we do as Christians, I want you to know that that was truly a holy moment when you contended for that person's healing. And so sometimes these holy moments look very, very supernatural. And sometimes they look really, really natural. Like if you're at school or you're at work and there's people that are talking badly of someone in the office or something like that. And instead of joining them, you stand up for them and you speak honor and you speak blessing over them. That moment too is a holy moment. That is the king, a kingdom of God moment, right? Sometimes a holy moment looks really, really supernatural where we actually can tell, we, we get a sense that a person is being harassed spiritually, that there could be some sort of a demonic presence. And so we do this work that we do of carrying the authority of Jesus. And we say, in the name of Jesus, I bind every power, every principality, every demonic spirit, whatever is going on here, and I cast it out, you get out of here right now. Sometimes the work that we do is very, very supernatural but powerful. And sometimes it doesn't look supernatural at all. Sometimes these holy moments just look like us going to Rangrove Village and giving food away and loving on the people that live there. Those are all holy moments. Those are all us taking back from the enemy the, the, the kingdom and spreading God's kingdom. Sometimes um, being a conduit of God's kingdom looks like a fight. It looks like we fight. When we fight against the hallmarks of Satan's kingdom in the world, we, hi- we fight against the work of Satan in our schools. We fight against the work of Satan in our society through prayer and maybe even through political activism. And sometimes a holy moment through this warfare looks like us giving up the fight. It looks like us laying our lives down in humility to bring reconciliation, to bring peace in our marriages, in our relationships, in our workplace, or here at church. It's all kingdom. Those are all holy moments that we can step into. I want to specifically talk about our teenagers for a second because I read something this week that really bothered me. Um, crud. Um... So the, 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 the CDC, sorry, coffee time, (laughs) Um, the CDC does this thing called uh, the, the Youth Risk Behavior Survey. It's called the Youth Risk Behavior Survey, and they survey how, kind of, what is the mental state of, of our tweens and our teens. And, um, and new results came out recently. And among the findings, um, they discovered that back in 2011, 36% of teenage girls, back in 2011, 36% of teenage girls reported feeling Um, sorry. They reported feeling persistently sad or hopeless. Um, 36%. And in 2021, that figure was 57%. So six out of 10 of our girls are feeling persistently sad or hopeless. 
Um, better for the boys in 2011, 21%, one in five teenage boys reported feeling persist- persistently sad or hopeless. In 2021, that number rose to 29%, so one in three of our boys. In 2011, um, 19% of teenage girls seriously considered suicide, one in five. And in 2021, that number had risen to 30%. So one in three of our teenage girls um, report seriously considering suicide. Um, lastly, in 2021, this is the recent now, 2021, they figured out that 58% of teens um, with same-sex partners have seriously considered ending their lives. So teens with same-sex partners... Uh, almost 60% have seriously considered ending their lives. And I, I just want to report to us that these are figures from the CDC, and it seems like we're losing the battle there. We're losing the battle there. Our teens are under attack, and we need to fight for them. We need to fight for them in prayer. Um, I'm going to go on a happier note. <laughs> And give you um, just a, a bit of what God is doing in our teens. Andrew, can you come on up here? Um, here at Thrive, we have uh, some teens in our midst. We have kids in our midst. And Andrew and Emily uh, took uh, a handful of our kids down to a winter retreat um, last week. or Yeah, last week. And um, so I asked Andrew to share with you guys some of the things that he saw God doing um, with our teens at the winter retreat. Thank you. Good morning. So uh, I'd like to give context to the story, but first the definition of the story is basically like godly chaos in the most beautiful way. So we actually last weekend we went to this annual Christian youth conference. Um, Some of us uh, was a first time. Uh, myself included. And uh, ultimately, we went there for not only testimony, but we just came there to be in the presence of the Holy Spirit, God, and just ultimately bask in the in the love of the Lord. And so throughout this conference, it was a three-day conference, and there was teenagers from anywhere from, I think, sixth grade all the way to 18 years old. And we just combated, it kind of, basically what Kevin was saying, combated, you know, whether it be demonic forces or just healing upon the sick. And one instance, specifically on Sunday, there was this uh, young lady walking into the conference, and uh, I saw that she was limping. And I was like, maybe it would be good to pray for her. I'm pretty sure most of us have felt that way at some point in time. Well, maybe I'll pray for them. No, 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 maybe not today, but next time, Lord, next time. Um, And I'm here to say, like, what if there is no next time? So... Oddly enough, we're in the conference, about 450 people, almost 500 people, and God places her right behind my row, uh, right behind John and Henry and I. And uh, I was like, okay, Lord, this is the time. This is the time. I'll, I'll do it. So uh, shortly after, there was testimonies. Sunday was the last day, and there was testimonies from people, children, as young as 12 years old, saying that this weekend they God saved their life from suicide. Um, child goes up and says, God saved their life from uh, depression. God saved them in this weekend from gender confusion. And stories that just bring you down um, as an adult from another level of, these are children. And um, Jesus says also in scripture, if anyone makes these little ones stumble, it's better to have a rock around his neck. And um, 
So afterwards, we, uh, the, the girl, I asked, hey, you know, uh, the seven things that you shared, because she shared a testimony, I said, the seven things that you had a testimony for, did you get prayer for your leg? And she said, no, actually, I didn't. So then uh, John and I uh, were actually so ready to pray for her. I said, so sit down. Let's pray over you. Let me give it, let me get the story. So she had an ACL tear. Um, and then two months, it's been two months since her surgery, and she still hasn't fully recovered. So, okay, let's pray. And keep in mind, I was praying for other people over the weekend. I, I, did, I saw some things, but I didn't see any healing specifically. And I was starting to think doubtful. Maybe some of you think that, too. Maybe I... I can't do it. I'm not strong enough or my spirit's not good enough. God hasn't gifted me with that. And I'm here to combat that. So we sat down. She had her knee out. It was, a, I think, at eight or so, John, right? Something very painful, right? We started praying. And I kid you not, I think uh, 10 seconds later, I look up and there is uh, there's 10 or 11 more people around. And um, we ultimately kept on praying. We kept on praying. We checked in with her, and she said it's a 2 out of 10, which means that it's almost fully healed, 8% healed. And, uh, John, what would you say? Um, I said we need to pray more. <laughs> and we prayed more. And uh, I think five or so minutes go by, and we keep on praying. We keep on praying. And then we look up, and she's crying, tears in her eyes. She's moving her leg like this. I'm like almost doing the Michael Jackson moonwalk. And she gets up, and she's completely healed. And, uh, yeah, yeah. And so afterward, another godly chaos moment was, I think, a gentleman that was actually touching John's shoulder was praying over him to pray for the girl. And he starts crying. And we're like, well, what's going on over here? Let's go pray over here. <laughs> and uh, he shows his text message. Apparently, he hadn't talked to his dad in about four or five years. Very abusive and very um, tragic relationship. And he said he forgave his father that day on Sunday, and his dad texted him back saying, I'm so sorry, son. I love you so much. Wow. So those are some of the stories that we combated over the last weekend. Do you want to say anything? Do you want to say anything? Um, I'm not sure. Okay. You know what? Something. <laughs> but um, ultimately, yeah, we, we just wanted to say that you know it is possible, number one, and uh, number two, that yeah, we have a chance. To, we have a chance to fight the good fights. So. That's good. That's good. Keep it short, um, John. I just wanted to say really fast that God loves all of you so much. Uh, he can do anything through you guys, and I'm just asking God what to tell you guys. But um, youth uh, reverb was absolutely fantastic, and I absolutely loved it. Um, please come. But whatever God wants you to do, um, I know people that said that uh, they prayed and they God told them not to go for various reasons, but. Um, you really should go if God tells you to. So, yes. That's good. Thank you. Thank you. All right, thanks. So God does amazing things, even in the toughest cases, guys. So I'm going to wrap up because I know we've been here for a bit. I, I just want to close um, by just reminding you of a scripture that you've probably read a million times. There was a moment in uh, Jesus' ministry life where he had he had prepared his disciples and he said, I'm going to send you guys out to the neighboring towns and I want you to bring the kingdom. I want you to heal the sick. I want you to cast out demons. I want you to share the good news and then come back and tell me what happens. And, and they went and they did that and they came back and the word says that they were overjoyed. They were overjoyed. They said, even the demons obeyed us in your name. And I want to tell you that this this battle that we get to be a part of 
is a joy. It is a joy to see people set free. It is a privilege to watch what God will do through us when we step into our holy, our holy moments. And so that's my encouragement. We can call it a, a, a Lenten thing, but really it's a, it's a God thing. And so I want you to pursue those holy moments. Ask the Lord, what do you want from me right in this moment? What do you want me to do right in this moment? And step into it. And you will become so overjoyed as you watch God work through your life. Amen. Amen. 